Welcome to week three, our final week of this series we're calling Who Do You Think You Are? My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Before we jump into the message today, let me give you two really uh, quick things you can just kind of keep in the back of your brain. Uh, One is this Sunday, next, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. I hope you're thinking about who you might want to invite with you on Easter. For whatever reason, on Easter Sunday, a lot of people just kind of think, huh, I think I need to go to church today. And so you might just have the ability to just ask somebody to to join you. Now, I will tell you, the 11 o'clock will be fuller than the 9 o'clock. It'll be more packed. We always have to kind of juggle seats. So if you're a regular, all-the-time, real-lifer, I would invite you to come to the 9 o'clock, invite somebody to the 9 o'clock next week. And uh, so we have room, more room for guests at the 11 o'clock. I would really appreciate it if you do that. But then as, as part of that, we're going to be kicking off a series uh, about doubt and faith. Uh, I don't know if you're the kind of person like me who just, you want to understand. You don't want to just be told what to think or how to believe. You want to understand. And y- you have doubts and you have questions. And how does, is the Bible reliable? Is science and faith, how do they intersect? What do I do with my doubts? Is, are they, is it okay to have doubts? We're going to talk about all of that, we're going to start um, next Sunday with that series. So um, you can be a part of that. And then on Good Friday, it is, we're going to have what's called a tenebrae service. Tenebrae is a Latin word that means shadows. And Good Friday is good because Jesus died for you and for me. It's bad for him, good for us. That's why we call it Good Friday. Uh, but we, we remember on Good Friday the death, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And on that first Good Friday, the disciples did not know that Sunday was coming. They were clueless. They thought all light had been extinguished. So we kind of do that. It gets darker and darker as we go through. We'll we'll end with communion together. You can come with your kids. It'll be about 35 minutes or so um, Friday at 7 o'clock. I invite you to be here in this room. And then um, tomorrow night, just just to clarify, so tomorrow night, uh, if you want to be a part of Team World Vision and explore running the Chicago Marathon for World Vision, the the leading provider of clean water in in the developing world, um, and one of our, our partners in mission, um, you can come tomorrow night. Doesn't mean you're going to run the marathon. Doesn't mean you know if you can run a marathon. Doesn't know you, you, can, you may not even know how to pronounce the word marathon. Doesn't matter. You can show up tomorrow night, 6.30, kick off in the community space. Um, but if you say, I don't, I, blah, 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 I don't think I could ever do that, you could also be a part of the 6K. The 6K is uh, 3.7 miles. And on May the 6th, 10,000 people have already registered around the globe. It'll be a coordinated effort. We'll leave from the parking lot, go down the trail. You can walk, you can rollerblade, you can have someone push you in a baby stroller. That'd be awkward, but you can do it. Uh, but you can be a part of that. And, if you, and what happens is you, you register online, portage6k.com. It'll take you right to the link at World Vision site. And you register and you get a bib, and it's $50. $50 will provide clean drinking water for a child for life. Tremendous difference you get to make by being part of that. So I highly encourage you to be a part of that. Come walk it like I will do because I can't run. So uh, I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. We always read a passage of scripture. I'm going to read it aloud. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along. If you have a Bible, leave it open to this passage. We'll be looking at it together this morning. The first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, 
and they arrive there. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Uh, this week, I had a, uh, the opportunity to be part of a speed networking event. I don't know if you know what that is. Uh, Holly Simpson, who's, part of, who's a real lifer, is, uh, works in the career center at, at Valparaiso University. And uh, just, she's invited people she knew, including me, to come and help students get practice interviewing. And so if you've ever seen what speed dating is, you sit at a table and people move. Well, I got to sit at a table, and then these uh, students who are juniors or seniors or in their master's degree would come by, and I'd get to ask them questions, kind of like they were on the hot seat for an interview. And uh, it was really kind of an interesting experience. I met all these uh, bright students uh, who are wanting to do great things with their life, and I just kind of developed my own little set of questions to ask about that because I wanted to know some specific things. I don't know what the other professionals were asking. And, um, so I just would say, hey, tell me about you, and they'd tell me something about them. And I say, tell me what your strengths are. And usually at that age, you kind of sort of know what your strengths are, but not really. Uh, so they would kind of attempt to say what they felt like their strengths were. And then I would say, well, tell me what you're passionate about. Tell me what you care about. And they would have this whole list of things that they cared about. And then I asked everybody, because I wanted to know if they'd thought about this question. It's what we're going to talk about this morning out of the story of Abram. Uh, it's a question you and I have to answer with our life in some way, shape, form, or fashion. But I asked them this. I said, what difference do you want to make with your life? When you're done, and this is all wrapped up, and people look back on your life, what's the difference that you're going to have made with your life? Now, maybe it's not fair to ask a question at that age, because you don't really know, and you don't really have the insight into yourself necessarily yet to fully understand the implications of that question. And I could tell, because uh, virtually no one had an answer. They just kind of looked at me like, what? I, Tim McGuire calls it the math face, like, what? Huh? What's the, what? <laughs> and they just looked at me, what are you talking about? And then they would try and, uh, like, make up an answer and come up with some words to say that they thought sounded good. But I could tell they really hadn't really thought about that question. And I left, and I realized this. It's not just people graduating from high school or people graduating from college, but everybody's got to answer that question. And how many people go through their life and never answer it? They don't ever have a good answer to it. Because the answer I got from them is the answer that most of us give at that point. Well, I just want to make some money and be happy. Now, there's nothing wrong with making money or being happy. But you're not ever giving yourself to something bigger than you. And at the end of your life, what are people saying about you? What's the difference that you want to make with your life? Another way of saying that is, what's your calling in life? What's God put you on this planet to do? It's all wrapped up in this question uh, that we're asking in this series about who you are. It's an important question that you've got to answer. Um, now, if you're older, you kind of sort of have an answer to the question, who I am, and I hope that you can pass that on. We're trying to give some real practical handles, some questions that you can walk someone else through to help them understand who is it that God's made them to be and what's God put them on this planet to do. Um, and if you're younger, what I would encourage you to do is just not to give up until you figure out your calling. Don't go through your life without an answer to that question. What difference am I going to make? How am I going to take these things? Because I, I got stuff in my life. I got debt and to pay like you do and bills to pay and I've got kids to raise. And in the middle of all of the mess of the normal part of life, we sometimes stop and we wonder, now, does this that I'm doing right now, does it have, make any difference in the long run in anyone else's life? I mean, can, can the mess that I'm currently in, can it be used by God to do something great? Can there be a calling in the middle of all of that? And so the, the kind of the, uh, the, the core quote that we're using for this series has been a quote from a guy that I really admire named Dallas Willard, and he's written a bunch of books and uh, taught a, a number of years in, at the University of Southern California, and 
very widely respected person, died a couple years ago, and this is what he said. He said, your life is God's gift to you. Who you become is your gift to God. So God hands you a life and says, here you go. It's a gift to you. Your life is a gift. The fact that you wake up, woke up this morning and you breathed in and out and you could see and you could eat some food and you could put clothes on. Thank you for that. The fact that you could do that, that's a gift from God. Now, who you become with that life, what you do with it, now that's a gift you return to God. So we're asking the question, okay, who is it that God's making you to be? So we've kind of been working to give you some handles and say, how, how would you access, begin to access who it is that God's made you to be? And the first one that we said is this, is that you find out who you are by looking up, not by looking in. It's kind of a paradox. We think if we're going to figure out who we are, we have to look inside ourselves. But when we start there, instead of looking outside of ourselves for who we are, uh, we get this really kind of bad feedback loop. My daughter is seven, uh, Carrington, and she loves to take my phone and my wife's phone, and then call herself. <laughs> and she puts both phones up to her ear. If you've ever done this, if you've never done this, you're going to do this later today, and you're going to go, that was really cool. And she, she puts it up to her ear, and there's this little delay, so she gets to hear herself talk, and she'll come running up to me and go, Dad, here, rah! And you kind of get ringing in your ear. But that's all it is. If you, all you ever do to find yourself is look inside yourself, you just get that feedback, Luke, a little, little bit of an echo, and you hear a little bit about yourself, and you never get perspective beyond yourself. So if you're going to figure out who you are, you've got to figure out what God says about you. What, God, what did God make you to be? That's where it begins. That's the first thing. You, you, you find out who you are by looking up, not by looking in. The second one is this, is that when you look up, you find the courage to look in. Because you've figured out that God has something to say about you that supersedes what you say about you or what you've been through. And you can, you can do what Brendan Manning says. You can be ruthlessly honest about the kind of person that you are and the kind of character that you have. And not worry that God's going to reject you because you find out when you accept what God said about you and you receive what God's done for you, then you find out that you're, you're the, you become the beloved. You're the beloved son that God always wanted. You're the beloved daughter that God always looked for. That becomes who you are and that changes how you see yourself. Uh, I, I don't know if you know who Patricia Heaton is. Patricia Heaton's an actress and um, she's a, actually a follower of Jesus and she's been in a number of well-known sitcoms and some movies and and when she was beginning to get into acting, she moved to New York City because she thought that's where it would happen. She went to audition after audition for a number of years, and really nothing came of it. And she thought, you know what, I'm going to give this another chance, uh, maybe a couple more years, and then I'm going to be done. This is just not working. And so she moved from New York City to Los Angeles and thought, this is going to be this is going to be it. Nothing really happened while she was in Los Angeles. She was part of a church, and as part of that church, they took a mission trip to an orphanage in a developing country where she went for... Uh, a, a number of days, a week or so, and served the poorest of the poor. Now, if you've ever done that, you know that it's completely life-altering. Uh, you can't ever see the world the same way. You can't ever see the needs of the world the same way. You, you no longer have categories. We say those are those people, and we're right. It's just, it's just life-altering. And it was that way for her. In fact, she, uh, she said, okay, God, I, 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 this is not working with this acting thing, I mean, if you want me to go move there to that orphanage, I'll go move there, and if that's what you want me to do, I'll go do that, because I, I want to do what you want me to do, I, I need to change how I see this, and, and she, she had a shift, she said an inner peace came over her, and then this is what she said, uh, we'll throw it on the screen, she said, I had a sort of freedom from that moment on, because now I knew that my value as a person did not depend on whether or not I was a successful actor because here, here's what had happened. Up until then, every time she went into an audition and was rejected, it was like they were devaluing her. She tied herself to what she was doing 
And so she was no one when she didn't succeed. And then she realized, wait, 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 I've looked up toward God and I've been, been honest about myself. Now, and she said, all of a sudden, that's when my acting career took off. Changed it. And then what I, this became my, my calling in the world. Now, this is kind of the process that uh, Abram went through in this, this story. We've been using um, this family in Genesis, the book of Genesis, actually the story of one very dysfunctional family and how God works through that very dysfunctional family in multiple generations and does what he's going to do for the world. And you and I are sitting here because God works through that dysfunctional family. And it's the story of Abram. Abram in Genesis chapter 12 is the beginning of Abram's story. And if you just back up a few verses, you get kind of a little bit of the backstory of where Abram came from. Um, he, was, uh, he was born in Ur of the Chaldees, which would be in southern Iraq, not far from the Persian Gulf. And uh, he was born one of three sons. Uh, Abram was one of the sons of his father, Terah, was his father's name. And then he had a brother named Nahor. If you're looking for a baby name, there you go. Uh, Nahor. And then Haran was his third brother. And while they were in Ur of the Chaldees, a, a kind of defining moment happened in their family. His brother, Haran, died for whatever reason. We don't know from the narrative why he died. But he died. And that was some kind of defining moment. Now, th where they lived was uh, the center of civilization. Many uh, anthropologists and, and historians think this is where modern civilization began. The Sumerian culture, if you're a history geek like me, uh, you're kind of fascinated by all of that. And, and this, is, this is where they lived, in this powerful center, this wealthy uh, area. Uh, the Sumerians were the ones who came up with what's the pyramids today that are now famous in Egypt. They came up with that, that thing as a religious expression. And for whatever reason, Terah, I don't know if it was a defining moment of losing his son, said, we're going to leave. We're going to change. I, I need to get out of here. I need to change the scenery. And so he took uh, Abram and Haran, his son who passed away, his, his son Lot, with him and their families, and they moved. They went an eight or so day journey. Now, if you were from, coming from southern Iraq and you were going to go across uh, to Israel, the land of Canaan, you would have to go right through the Arabian Desert. And so what they did instead is they went north. Uh, they went north up through what is modern-day Syria, past Aleppo, where you've seen that in the news, into the very southern part of Turkey to a, a city called Haran. Now, I don't know, as a grieving father, if that was the place where he just stopped and he said, listen, I, I, this reminds me of my son. We're not going to go any further. We're going to stay here where he's from. I, I don't know why. We don't, we don't know what, uh, why that happened. But they went there and they stayed. And right there in that city... There was the only trade route between Aleppo and the city of Nineveh. Right there, the call of God came to Abram. A call to make a difference with his life came to Abram. In a, in a, in a setting of transition and change, he heard the voice of God call him to something different. Now, you need to understand this uh, because you have a calling on your life. And you have, if you're going to understand what a calling is, uh, you need to understand one of the words that's used to describe that is a vocation. That's from a Latin word that means voice. Now, when we're talking about the voice that calls you, we're not talking about the universe, right? The, un the universe spoke to me. I don't know how the universe speaks to you, but to some people it does. I don't fully understand that. We're not talking about this generic entity that, that moves you to do something. We're talking about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We're talking about the God who came into the world as a baby and died on a cross on Good Friday, rose from the dead on Easter Sunday. God has a name. God's name is Jesus. And so when we're talking about hearing the voice that calls you to something different, we're talking about hearing Jesus' voice calling you to something different, something better than you currently are. So you have, it's a bigger thing that you have to give yourself to, and it's what Jesus is calling to you. So if you're going to understand that, you've got to understand that about calling, that you look up and you hear the voice of God, and then you look in and you hear what the voice of God says about you. 
And then you do this third thing. You look out and you hear what the voice of God calls you to do. And this is the call that came to Abram while he was in Haran and his family was in transition. And now it's interesting what the call is to Abram. It's very specific, but it's also very vague. It was very specific uh, in that God said, now you're going to leave your country and you're going to leave your people and you're going to leave your household. Very specific, uh, but it was vague. Leave and go where I'm going to show you. How many of you would respond to something like that? Yeah, sure, I'll leave everything that I know, and I'll just go wherever you tell me. I have no idea what my plans will be or what will come next, but I'll just go do that. Not many of us would do that. It was specific uh, but fake. And that's kind of how the call of God tends to often work, is God asks us to leave what we know for what he'll show us later. We'll come back to that in a second. So then he gives us uh, this detail. God gives uh, Abram some details in verse 2 of chapter 12. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. He says, this is what I'm going to do through you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I'll bless you. Now, the word there means success, prosperity, fruitfulness, uh, longevity. Uh, It's all these wonderful things that all of us want in our life. Uh, And he says, and I'm going to bless you, and you will be a blessing. So people will receive from you blessing because I bless you. It won't just end with you. It will continue to other people. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. In other words, God says, I'm going to protect you in this whole process of calling you to something. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. He's he's saying, you're going to make a difference with your life, Abram. I'm going to do something through you. You, You're not going to sit in an interview and have some guy ask you a question of what difference you're going to make with your life. You're going to have an answer. I'm going to do something with your life, something great with your life. Now, we like like this uh, language of blessing. Uh, we like the idea of being blessed. How many, how many of you would not want to be blessed? See, no one. In the first service, someone put their hand up and they went, oh, not blessed. Oh, I want to be, <laughs> I want to be blessed. We like that. In fact, there was a number of years ago, a book was written by a guy uh, from an obscure verse in the Old Testament. This guy named Jabez prayed this prayer, and the prayer was, oh, that you would bless me indeed, and you would enlarge my territory. This guy wrote this little book and became super popular. And the reason it became super popular, not because it was right or wrong, but it tapped into the American dream that we want to better ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that dream, uh, but it, it just tied into that it's going to be all about me, and I'm going to get some blessing. Yo-ho-ho. I mean, we're just excited about the idea that we could be blessed. But here's, here's what God does not stop. God's, God doesn't say to Abram, or to you or me, I'm just going to bless you, end of story. He says, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a part of my plan to bless the whole earth. It's not about you in the end, in the final analysis. Well, here's what, here's what Abram learns. He learns that this, whatever it is, whatever you and I are facing, the bills, raising the kids, wondering if we can ever make a difference with all of that stuff, that this stuff that we're right in the middle of is really about that, about the voice of God and what the voice of God is calling us to be a part of. This is always, when you're finding your calling, this, this, this stuff is always about that call of God in your life. So i got to ask you a question, though. What would you do uh, if you had the promise from God of uh, sure blessing, uh, fruitfulness, longevity, success, purpose, if all of this was promised to you, but the condition was that you had to leave everything that you know, would you do it? Now, just to be really clear, uh, he says to Abram, you're going to leave your country. Uh, so in other words, you would have to leave being an American. Now, I don't know if you've traveled internationally, uh, but when you go to another culture, they just do things differently. Uh, food is different, dress is different, traditions are different. It's just a different way of being. And 
when you go to another culture for a long enough time, you experience what's called culture shock. Because you go there and you go, wait, wait, this is not like I know it back at home. And you start to think things like what they do is wrong and the way they do it is not right and the way I grew up is right. It's really we're just projecting our culture onto their culture. But really it's just culture shock. Uh, I went one time in college on a, a mission trip to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Beautiful country, beautiful people. The average age I think is 18 in Brazil. Uh, it's just a wonderful place. People are full of energy and life. They're singing in the streets. I mean, it's, it really, honestly, uh, it's just an amazing place. We went there uh, to help build a medical, um, um, a medical hut, basically, in a, in a slum, a favela uh, in the suburbs of Rio de Janeiro. And we went there, and we, it was a really an amazing experience. Uh, but by the time we got to the airport to come back home, we really couldn't wait, and we found ourselves getting in this conversation about what we were going to order at McDonald's as soon as we got off the plane. Like, I, I, I want comfort. I want what I know. I want what is familiar to me. And God tells Abram, leave that. Would you leave that? And then he says, you're going to leave your people. In other words, the people that are like you. So if you're blue collar, that would mean that you would leave, you would put on a suit. You'd become one of the suits. You'd be the suit that walks by. And you're like, who's that guy? What's that suit doing here? You'd be one of the suits that people would point their finger at and make fun of and tell jokes about. Or you'd, if you'd put on a suit, you'd go work in a corporate cube farm and you would, you'd do whatever, they'd push paper all day for a living. Or that, if you were to leave all that, you'd leave your people. That's what it'd be like for you. Or if you were from a white-collar background, then you would put on boots and you'd put on a shirt with your name on it and you'd earn your living by the sweat of your brow and you would have to leave everything that's comfortable to you and everything that you know and is familiar to you. And you just have to leave all that behind. You have to go. Would you go? And he, God goes further. And he says, and leave your household. Leave your aunts and your uncles and the people that you'll spend Easter with and the people you go to Thanksgiving dinner with and Christmas and do all your traditions with. All your extended family, you're going to leave them all behind. So would you do it? Would you leave it all behind? Would you, if you had the promise of blessing? Now, a three-word response that Abram gives that's an example to all of us just says this. So Abram went. He went. He left it all behind for the promise of blessing. He's 75 years old. He goes into what becomes the land of Israel. He packs up his family on a journey at 75 years old to find his calling in life. And so he has to wonder, I, I think, like you and I would wonder, how, how is this going to work exactly? I mean, I, God calls me to do this, and I'm going to go do what God asked me to do, but how does this, how does this work exactly? What? And so he, he does what you and I would do, is he gets into a scenario and he thinks, well, if God's called me to this, but I, I'm going to have to take care of the details. That's fine. I'll, I'll kind of go where God's asked me to go. And it'll be an adventure, but I'm going to have to arrange the details. He doesn't quite understand that's not how it works when God calls you to do something. And a little later in Genesis chapter 12, there's a famine in the land, and so he takes his wife, Sarah. Sarah was younger than him, uh, and she was still very, very beautiful. And so he, when he went into Egypt, he said, uh, he said to his wife, he said, now listen, when we go there, people are going to see how beautiful you are. They're going to see that I have some wealth, and they're going to want to take advantage of that, and they're going to kill me, and they're going to take you, and you're going to have to go live with them forever. So when someone approaches you that's an Egyptian, what you say to them is, uh, he is my brother, and I am his sister. And sure enough, uh, the scripture says, Genesis 12, verse 5, when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. Now, I don't know if they said it like this, but there was got to be something like, you got to see this chick, she's smoking. I mean, I don't, I don't know if they said it like that. But I, that's what they meant. If you're a guy, you know what I'm talking about, right? 
So they, they, Pharaoh, she's so beautiful, he brings her into his household, makes her part of his harem, and, and she lives there. Well, it finally comes out that she's married to Abram. This slips, and Pharaoh brings Abram in and says, why don't you just tell me? Take her and leave. And so they leave. And see, what Abram is doing there is he's thinking, okay, God's called me this thing, but I have to arrange the details. And so he tries to arrange the details for himself, and it doesn't really work well. Well, they travel north in chapter 13. They go north a lot, and, all of, and by this point, Abram has become very wealthy. He's got a lot of livestock, how you measured wealth in that day. Lot, he's got a wife, and, and uh, his nephew Lot has a wife and children, and their herds have grown huge, and they're trying to uh, work it so that the, both of their herds can have enough grazing land and water to drink, and it's just too big. There's just too much strife, and there's too much uh, disagreement, and they're getting into fight. The herdsmen are getting into fights with each other, and so Abram decides, you know, okay, I, this is not my, he's learning as he understands the call of God on his life, and he says, okay, I'm not going to try and arrange the details, so he just goes to Lot, and he says, listen, you take what you think is best, and I'll take whatever's left over. So the narrative says that Lot lifts up his eyes, and he looks, and he sees the well-watered plains near the Jordan River, and he says, I'm going to go over there, and that'll be great for me. And so he takes his flocks and his family and moves there, and Abram has this leftover, if you could imagine, kind of this deserty, rocky kind of place. But he's learned that when you, God calls you to something, God's going to take care of the details, and you're not going to have to necessarily know all the details. You just need to respond to the voice of God in your life. And so God comes to Abram and says, listen, Abram, I'm going to make of you a great nation, and I'm going to, I'm going to bless you, and I want you to walk up and down this nation. I'm going to make your descendants like the, the sand on the seashore. And, and uh, in chapter 14, uh, Abram begins to step into the role of blessing other people. He understands God's blessed him. His flocks are grown. His wealth has grown. His influence has grown. And he uses that. He rescues Lot from a, a marauding tribe. And he brings peace to the region. And in Genesis chapter 15, he has this, uh, in, at least in the Bible, a famous conversation with God uh, where God comes to Abram after all of this. And he says, Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield. I'm going to protect you and your very great reward. I'm, I'm the thing that you're giving yourself to. I'm going to get you through this entire journey. But then Abram says, okay, God, but how is exactly is this going to work? I, I mean, I'm trying to respond to the call that you've put on my life. But how is this going to work? I don't have an heir. I have no, how, you, you're going to make my descendants great. My wife is barren. We've been married all these years. She can't have a baby. She's too old. And God makes a promise and says, even in your, her old age, she will have a child. And he laughs. And, and, but there's something very interesting that, he, that happens right there. Genesis chapter 15, uh, verse 6, that the apostle Paul in the Old Testament picks up on and says, this is an example of what faith is like, y'all. Look back to Abram, and it's ver chapter 15, verse 6 says this, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. What did he believe? That God would give him an heir. He would fulfill his promise. So uh, what happens then is the Lord makes him a covenant partner. They went through this ancient ceremony that was a common ceremony in that day. When you read about it in the latter part of Genesis 15, you go, what in the world's going on? In that day, it was just a common um, way you would make a, a, a covenant relationship with someone. You'd sign a contract where we write out things on paper. They would take animals, and they would split the animals in half, and they would line them up like a corridor, and the two people who were in a covenant, to, who wanted to have a covenant together, would walk between those, and it was this bloody mess, kind of like a birth canal, and you would come out the other side, and you would be in a new partnership where you would share resources and share everything that you had with one another. And so Abram becomes a covenant partner with God. 
And God says, I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to bless you. And he changes his name from Abram, which means daddy, to Abraham, which means basically big daddy. <laughs> so that's, that's an interesting story. Uh, what, what do we take from this? I mean, what, what does this mean for us? I mean, we're trying in the middle, we're in the middle of our mess, you know, paying our bills and raising kids. And how, how do you find a calling for your life in the middle of that? How do you make sure that your life makes a difference. Uh, this is what I would suggest to you, because you may say, well, if I'm going to find my calling in life, does that mean that I'm going to have to leave my home? I'm going to leave everything that I know? Well, I would say this, maybe. I know that's what happened for our family. So God may call you and may say, listen, it's time for you to go. I've got something for you to do. And you may, you may get a, you know, God, we're going to move here, and that may, that may be your journey. But it might not be that for you, but it will certainly be that you have to leave how you see things. Because God was very smart in saying to Abram, you're going to leave behind your nation, and you're going to leave behind your people, and you're going to leave behind your household. Because, see, this is how Abram defined himself. This is how he understood who was important and what wasn't. So you're going to have to leave behind the fact that you're an American to be a follower of Jesus. And that can't be your primary identity is that I'm an American. You're going to have to leave behind whatever, whoever your people are. If you say, I'm blue collar and those are my people, you're going to have to say, well, that's, okay, that's, that's great that I'm a part of that, but I'm not going to let that define me. If you're white collar, you're not going to say, I'm not going to let that define me. And you're going to leave behind your household, the way your family did things. And you're, what you're doing is you're trading in the way you've seen things and what you've valued for the way God sees things and the way God values things. And you leave behind the way that you've been going through life. And you adopt a whole new set of values. And, and what happens is you begin, as you do that, to find out that this, whatever this might be, is really the, the bill paying and the raising of the kids and going to work, and being married, having relationships with people. That This is really where that, the voice of God, gets expressed and the call of God on your life makes a difference. And in the middle of all that, you, you get up in the morning and you, you suddenly have a purpose. Because you go, oh, it's... This thing that I'm doing right now, it's about something else. God's called me to something great, to be a blessing to people. And through me, I'm going to be a part of blessing all the peoples on earth. And your life takes on a totally different flavor, and you, you begin to make a difference in your life. So that when you get down to the end, and, and I call it the box test, and you're laying in the box, and the people come up and they say words about you, they say, man, I'm different because of her. I'm better because of him. I'm going to miss him so much. My life is different. Your kids are going to get up and they're going to say, I, I loved my dad. My dad taught me how to be a man. My dad taught me how to follow God. My dad taught me how to be a man with character and integrity. My dad taught me how to overcome the things that are hard to overcome. My dad did. That's what they're going to say about you when you've, when you've settled this issue and you've said, okay, I'm going to be a part of the call of God on my life. This, is, this, this whole scene in Abram's life is very similar to, to a scene in Jesus' ministry, uh, and it's in Matthew chapter 3, we'll put it on the screen, when Jesus says this to all of us, but he says it then to two fishermen. He says, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they, what did they do? Left. So they left something behind. They left their nets, and they followed him. Now, you've got to understand this. Jesus left his home for you, so that you could have a home with God. And that's the essence of when we're talking about Christmas and Easter and Good Friday. 
It's, God came into the world. I mean, what better home is there than heaven? And God leaves it for earth. And he comes and he leaves everything behind so that you can be blessed. So that you can be a part of his plan now to bless all the peoples on the earth. And you get, you get to be a part of that. And so what he, he does is he calls you to leave your home so you can experience the same thing and be a part of the same purposes that he has for the whole world. Well, I want you to um, understand that, again, this, this thing you're going through, what Abram experienced, that God, God called him, but he left him kind of in the way he's going about life. And Abram discovered that this, whatever it is, is really about that. And that you can participate in that in the middle of this. I want to pray for you. And uh, so I'd invite you to, to pray with me, would you? Would you stand as we pray? Let's pray. God, um, we're in the middle of uh, our life, and we've got obligations and situations and things that frustrate us and things we think can never change. And in the middle of all that, you call us. You don't consider our life circumstances. You don't make allowances for the way things are. You simply bring your call to us, and you call us to be a part of blessing all the people on earth. And so, God, I pray that uh, every person in this room, every single man, every single woman, every single young man, every single young woman in this room would understand and would become the kind of people that make a difference. In your name, they would be people who uh, have a calling in life, understand that they were put here to make a difference, to be a blessing to people, that they would get up tomorrow morning knowing they've got purpose. And they would get up on Tuesday morning and know that they've got a calling. And they would get up on Wednesday and know that they have a mission. And they'd get up on Thursday and know that they have something important to do. And they'd get up on Friday and know that all of their interactions count. God, for that, I pray that for every person in this room. That they, there'd be a shift in how they see themselves. They, they'd begin to understand who they are in you, who you made them to be, and what you put them on this planet to do. And so they don't, they don't sit somewhere and someone asks them a question about the difference they're going to make, and they have no answer to that question. God, make this room full of people difference makers in Northwest Indiana and beyond. So we say thank you. Thank you that you left your home in heaven and you came to here. You came, you left it all behind so that we could have a home with you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. We say thank you to that and all God's people said, amen. Uh, you'll see the people around you as we leave hold out their hands like this and, and what they're doing is they're wanting to receive a blessing. We always leave you with a blessing, a good word over your life as you go. And if you'd like to do that, you can uh, hold your hand up if you're comfortable with that. If not, it's okay too. Just receive this blessing. And may you hear the voice of God calling you to be a part of what he's doing in blessing the whole world. And know that your life has significance and purpose and meaning. You're sitting out to love God and to love people and to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. Our prayer team's down front if you need prayer.